Matthew 12, verse 8 is where we're going to start. Jesus proclaims that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the set-aside day of rest. So Jesus says in Matthew 12, 8, we're going to read through verse 21 and see what happens. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, and departing from there, Jesus went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him? How many of you know that what religious people do really well is accuse? (laughs) People that are steeped in religion have a judgmental and critical spirit about them where they see the negative in everything, especially the church, and they're really good at accusing others. And in this case, they're accusing Jesus, who, by the way, is totally innocent. Amen? Amen. So we have to be aware of developing a critical thing inside of us. Listen, can I tell you something? Does the church need reformation? Of course. Are we in need of an awakening? Are people slumbering and sleepwalking through their lives? Are there people who call themselves Christians, but really it means nothing to their lifestyle? Yes, of course. But God wants to share His heart with you in such a way that you become broken and tender and you actually weep over the state of the church rather than pointing fingers and calling out all the problems. So people that can tell you what's wrong with the church are a dime a dozen, but I listen to people who are actively building and seeking to do it differently. In other words, Rick Joyner said, any donkey can kick down a barn, but it takes a skillful carpenter to build one. So listen to people that have a strategy, that have a plan, that have a New Testament blueprint for what God desires. So here they're accusing Jesus... And let's look at what happens. They ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Verse 11, Jesus said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Stop here. Remember last Sunday, we looked at Jesus saying, how much more? In Matthew 7, he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? And then there's this extraordinary twin passage in Luke 11 where Jesus is again teaching at a different moment in his ministry. Most likely he's closer to the cross at this point. And he changes what he says just a little bit. And he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father in heaven know to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do we understand that we can lack in our spiritual life because we have not asked? This is prayer 101. God, I don't want there to be anything in my life that I'm missing because I failed to ask you for it. 
Well, how do I know what to ask God for? By understanding His heart and His mind through His Word. Did you know that the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the things that have been freely given to us? This is 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer and He wants to reveal to you what God has freely given. Can I tell you something? The devil wants you to keep asking God for things He's already given you. This is why you have insecure Christians who get saved 80 times a year and they think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life back to the Lord. I'm all for rededication. But once you give your life to Jesus and you surrender, there's an eternal, paternal security that overtakes your heart and your mind and you begin just to give everything to God. God wants to secure us. How much more valuable are you than a sheep? Jesus is saying, who cares if it's the Sabbath? You see your animal that's fallen in a hole, God's going to go after and pursue and grab that animal and restore him. How much more valuable are you and I than animals? Jesus uses animals multiple times. He talks about a sparrow that falls to the ground. He says no sparrow dies apart from the Father. Not even just a small little bird can pass away without God our Father seeing and caring. How much more does God care about our lives? See, let me tell you something. The enemy stands to accuse God and tell you the Lord doesn't really care about you. You're suffering alone. He wants to isolate you. He wants to lie to you. Remember, if he can isolate you, he can influence you. And if he can influence you, he can win you to darkness. This is why fellowship is critical. Do you know the thing in human beings that makes us think we don't need the church. Can I tell you what it is? Pride. It takes humility to gather and to say, I need my brothers and my sisters. I need to be in fellowship. I need to take my soul somewhere where there's water and give and receive and love and be loved. Let's keep reading. How much more? So then it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was restored to normal, just like his other hand. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to make him known. This is extraordinary humility. I don't know about you, but when someone gets healed, we immediately want to tell everyone, look what God just did. And sometimes packaged in that is, look what God just did through me. When was the last time that God used you powerfully or benevolently and you didn't tell a soul? Do you have any God stories that are just between you and the Lord? Do you have any bullets in the chamber that maybe one day at the right time? God, I love it when the Lord, I, I have stories and things and all of a sudden the Lord will say, I want you to tell them that story. 
and it becomes anointed of the Lord because there's a personal history and an intimacy where we don't have to put everything that God is doing in our lives on social media. Amen. I understand we're in the influencer generation and we want everybody to see that we read our Bible again this morning. And do I think there's good that happens through that? Yes, I do. But if your relationship with Jesus, the majority of it is on social media, God wants an upgrade for you. Most of my times with the Lord, I wouldn't dare put on social media because they're too real and too raw. I wonder if we have a plastic relationship with Jesus when we have to go out and tell everybody everything all the time. Are you with me? I believe in boasting in the Lord. I believe in boast posts. I believe in giving God glory and using social media to point people to Jesus. Social media is the modern day marketplace. But social media is not the only time and space where we should be having a connection with God. Amen? Did you know that there are people that don't have time to read their Bibles, but they drink of other people's walk with God through Facebook? Rather than a face look, they have Facebook. All right, I'll try it again later. (laughs) Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. He healed them all, and he warned them not to make him known. Verse 17. In order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Check this out. This is from Isaiah 42. Isaiah 700 years before Christ is going to prophesy about the Messiah. Verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. This is God talking about his son. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Would you say amen? Amen. Listen, God is a good father. God is an adoptive father. The spirit of adoption is one of the names for the Holy Spirit. And God does not take bruised reeds and break them. What does that mean? When a root is when a reed is bruised It's easily broken. How does God feel about his tender lambs? How does the father feel about his beloved sons and daughters who are struggling or who may be in a valley in their lives? It says a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick. You might have had a flame of fire at one point in your journey, but now life and difficulty has reduced you to something that's only smoldering. God wants to come with his breath and breathe life upon your heart see I find that many take pleasure in crushing people that are broken you have to be delicate when people are struggling in their shame do you know what heals us of our shame the mercy of God 
Psalm 103 says, I will be merciful to your iniquities. I will not deal with you according to your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so have I removed your sins from you. See, there's a redemptive, restorative heart to God that we ought to be manifesting and showing one another. So when someone goes through a valley in their life, love beckons us to join them in the valley and lock arms with them and pray them through. God is looking for people, for faithful men and women who will notice the broken and who will not break bruised reeds. See, there's a tenderness to God. I love the Lord so much because I can't figure Him out. We say God is both tender and tenacious. He's loving and yet He is just. I find that many times we overemphasize one to the exclusion of the other. Do you know that you can preach one aspect of truth so much that it eventually becomes a falsehood? All right, some of us are awake this morning. I don't know how many times in my life I've heard people say to me, I've never heard a message on repentance. Repentance, to me, I'm like a fish in water. Praise the Lord. Repentance is the heartbeat of the gospel. How did you miss that? Oh, you had people teaching you that didn't want to offend you. You have people that don't really understand grace because all they hear about is fluffy love. They think the love of God is to coddle you in your sin, and the love of God calls you higher. Amen? I said it last week. Let me repeat myself. It is entirely possible, and I believe we do it here, to preach grace and mercy and kindness and love and not tolerate sin for one second. Love beckons us to confront. Love beckons us to comfort. And it's the Spirit of God living inside of us that gives us wisdom and discernment to know what someone needs in the moment. Amen? So here's what I believe about grace and truth. Jesus, it says in John 1, that grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Through Moses came the law. Through Jesus comes grace and truth. Truth sets you free so that you can walk in God's grace. I think that truth is the locomotive, if you will. People need a truth encounter with God. People need to wake up and realize their need for Jesus and get smacked with the reality that if they do not change and repent and call on the name of the Lord, they will surely go to hell. That truth awakens people to long for a gracious God who looks at their sin and their shame and looks at all of our failure and our weakness and our sin and says, I love you anyway. But remember, come as you are doesn't mean stay as you are. The church in America, we do a really good job at come as you are. But come as you are doesn't mean stay as you are. It means come as you are and encounter the king and everything about your life changes. 
See, nowadays, if a church has a, a rainbow flag out front or a all are welcome here, what are they really saying? For most, I've thought about putting one out in the front of the church. I'm serious. Because you are welcome. And we do love you. We love you so much, we're going to tell you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So love confronts sin. Love doesn't accept sin. Love doesn't look the other way. But do you know that we get programmed in our family of origin to avoid conflict and to ignore the real core issues? And God has to give us a new heart and a new mind and a new set of plans and teach us that real friendship, that real love with God and with others causes us to speak truth. But again, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not put out. God is a God of encouragement. He's a God of hope. He's a God who said, God is love. Amen? And so in that, we wrestle with the tension of a Jesus whose eyes are a flame of fire, who in Revelation 19 is going to strike down the nations with a sword that comes out of His mouth and administer the wrath of Almighty God. And that Jesus is our Good Shepherd who loves us with tender love. I told you, I love God because I can't figure Him out. Praise the Lord for that. See, the arrogance in theological circles is when we begin to think we know God and we think we figured Him out and we think we understand Him and we're warned in Isaiah that His ways are not our ways, that His thoughts are not our thoughts. My very best thought, my purest thought, my most holy thought cannot even scratch the surface of the reality of who God is. So something that has blessed me in my life and in my journey with the Lord is repenting for every time that I wanted to be God. All right, let's try this side. Something that has blessed me in my life is repenting for every time I wanted to be God. All right, I'm going to stay over here for a while. Water's warmer over here. We'll pray for you guys. Just stretch out your hands. It's a joke, okay? Don't accuse me. Repenting for every time that I wanted to be God. Would you believe me if I told you that all anger ultimately is directed at the Lord? Oh, we're going to graduate this morning. Anybody in here ever been abused, been neglected? felt that anger, felt that rage, felt that sense of injustice. And there's something inside of each and every heart that says, man, if I were God, I would do things differently. And we need to back away from the throne of God. Because God is doing something and God is up to something good because God is a good father and God cares and the father sees the big picture always. Remember? My air filters. 
I spared you. We weren't going to do it three weeks in a row, but I am going to reference it. I had a dirty air filter and a clean air filter. Orphans who don't know the fatherhood of God look at their lives through a dirty filter and everything is a woe is me. It's happening again. I got the short straw. Oh, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And we develop this victim mentality and this orphan thinking complex that plagues us and we never break out and break through to experience the goodness of God the Father for ourselves. God wants you to know His care. He wants you to experience His kindness. But it requires us to lay down what we think our lives should look like. We have a habit of doing things and asking God to bless what we've started doing. Lord, I'm starting a business. Bless me. Wrong answer. That sounds like a fabulous way to waste a lot of time and money. We've got to go to the Father and say, Father, are you in this? Do you want me to do this? See, if you know me, Taylor especially would know this, but I'm the hold, 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 now kind of guy. And what I mean by that is this. When I feel like the Lord is speaking and He begins stirring or He begins giving direction, I hold, hold, because I know myself. Because I'll be, let's do it. (laughs) See, we got to wake up this morning. Come on. Break free in the name of Jesus. But I know myself. It's called self-control. Hold, hold. Lord, is that you? I want to be sure because when I get convinced of something, oh, everybody look out. And I don't want to make the mistake in pride and deceive myself and think, oh, well, this is something that God wants for me. This is something that God's calling me to do. So I hold and I wait and I pray and God speaks and confirms. Did you know that's what happened when we moved to Indiana? (laughs) I started telling God, oh, I think I'm losing my mind. I don't want to move back to Indiana. You can't be serious. I started having dreams. God started visiting me. There was a word about being a scribe and writing books and moving to Indiana and they were all connected. And somebody came up to me and prophesied to me out of Matthew 13, 52, which says that the scribe brings forth out of his treasure things new and things old. And the guy says, man, this is a really strange word, but I just feel like you're a scribe. And I was like, oh. And then someone else says, man, I was fishing. Two weeks ago, I'm like, oh, here we go, fishing. This is going to be good. He said, I'm fishing. And the Lord spoke to me. And He said, He wanted me to tell you that, Paul, you're a scribe. And I thought, no! I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own life. I'm golfing. I live in Florida, by the way, if you don't know. And every single table that I waited after we moved to Indiana and I went back into the restaurant industry and we got out of full-time ministry, I'm not kidding you, every single table we started to talk and get to know or serving them dinner and they're like, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm like, oh, I just moved here from Florida. And people were like, oh, you're supposed to move to Florida. I'm like, I know, I already did that. God brought me back. I'm just trying to do His will. See, we want God to show us kindness and blessing, but we want it our way. We want a Burger King gospel. We want the Lord to do things in our timing. Listen, you want to talk about anger with God? Let's talk about timing. 
Taylor's grandfather, Benny, had cancer at one point in his life and God miraculously healed him. And I remember sitting with him and he said, when I was first diagnosed, I said, Lord, why me? He said, by the end of the journey, I was saying, Lord, why not me? And he prayed and he said, I started praying and saying, Father, forgive me for every time I've confused my timing with yours. I have this word. I can't get rid of it. It feels a little detached from what I'm saying, but I just have to share it because I would be disobedient if I didn't. Where is the honor in the hearts of God's people today? We do a really poor job of honoring marriage, of honoring our fathers and mothers, of honoring the elderly, of submitting to one another. We want to pick a fight and criticize and put down. Can I tell you something? If you are looking for the worst in someone, it ain't going to take you long. But it's the pride in us that causes us to have a razor sharp focus on what's wrong with someone else rather than humility in our own heart that says, man, I don't have a whole lot of time to think about you because I'm just trying to get by in my own journey with Jesus. We've got to do a better job of honoring one another. Husbands, do you know that you're supposed to honor your wife? You're supposed to lay down your life for her. She's supposed to die and say, my life was greatly enriched because that man gave me everything he could in time, money, and energy. Because marriage is a picture of the gospel. The mystery of Christ in the church is wrapped up in husband and wife. But we have no honor for marriage because we divorce so easily. Because we just say, yeah, throw in the towel and start over. Oh, I fell out of love with you. There's not an honor for marriage and a commitment to God's design that pleases Him. Honor is godly. Honor is good. Honor is how God begins to open up the floodgates of favor in your life. I've learned by walking in humility and by honoring all those around me that God begins to display crazy favor and you don't show honor so that you can get favor you show honor because God's broken you and humbled you in your life so we honor one another let me tell you one of the best and most practical ways that I believe we can honor someone are you ready listen did you know that listening is a death to self I know we've all had those moments. Some of the, you know, hey, they're going to talk my ear off and I really got to go. And you're like, hey, we got to get out of here, man. Oh my gosh, I swallowed a bug. Let me get to the bathroom. <laughs> no, excuse me. <laughs> Thank you, brother. God bless you, Hoot. <laughs> Gary, come on. Who else? Are we having fun this morning? Guys, I don't know how you feel, but this is family to me. We planted this church out of our living room, and this is just like a bigger living room. But we don't have as many toilets per ratio to people. And one of them's leaking, hallelujah. We'll be receiving an offering after service. You can put it in the bowl. All right, I'll flush that joke. <clears throat> Let's finish here. 
Let's take a pass again at 19 and 20 and finish in 21. Jesus will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Would you say the word hope this morning? You know what the world needs? We need the gospel of Jesus Christ like we've never needed it in our lives. Let me prophesy to you. There is a stirring that's happening in this nation. There is an awakening that has begun to take place in this country. And God is looking for men and women who are going to boldly proclaim the gospel. We talked about social media earlier. I threw my little line in the water a couple days ago. I said, only people that are deceived by demons get enraged that they can't murder unborn children anymore. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, you're blind as a bat. Look around. Only people deceived by the spirit of this age are angry that they can't kill helpless babies. That is a sickness and a deception that has come upon the world. And there is an hour that is beginning to dawn for us as the church of Jesus Christ where we've got to rise up in boldness and proclaim that Jesus is the hope of the nations and that apart from Him, you will be miserable your whole life. We need Jesus. We need people who can introduce people to Jesus. Why has the church for now 30 years, I think at least, tried to produce Jesus? When all we have to do is introduce Jesus. Let's have another conversation. Why do we hide the real remedy? Let me clarify. Does this book talk about speaking in tongues? Can't tell if some of you said, oh yeah, or shandalabaya. <laughs> Brother, that needs an interpretation. <laughs> Let's talk about physical healing, miracles, signs, wonders, prophecy, demonstrations of the Spirit and power, manifestations of God's gifts. Well, you got some people, they're like, oh, you know what we'll do? We'll preach the gospel. But we'll sanitize it a little bit. We'll extract some of that stuff that, you know, people might be like, hey, whoa, that's weird. And we'll hide it, which is the remedy and the solution, because without the filling of the Holy Spirit, you might get into kingdom, but you're going to be bored and stale and dry and probably addicted to a Bible commentary. <laughs> Listen, people that want to, I mean... As I had a, a professor in college who was, you know, like, we, want, we were going to have a debate about whether Jesus was coming back on a literal white horse or was it spirit. I'm like, I don't care. Sorry, I just don't. I want to stay in the middle of the road and I want to be about the gospel and the things that are majors. Because we're not going to get it all right. You're not going to get every detail exactly right. But do you know Jesus? 
Have you had an encounter, an experience of His grace and truth that has changed your life forever? Do you have a hope inside of you that you're always ready to give an account and tell other people why you're so hopeful? So we hide the solution who is the Spirit and we say, well, we'll, we'll share the gospel with you, but then we'll, like, we'll like let you figure all that out by yourself. I've seen more people catch fire in an instant when they were confronted with the realities of the Holy Spirit. Guys, it grieves me to no end when you witness people who are hardcore drug addicts Drug dealers, users, abusers. They were going hard for the devil. And then they give their life to Jesus and they become like this little wimpy weakling. Like, well, hey, at least I'm clean. At least I'm sober. I'm like, do you know that sobriety is just the beginning? So if you went hard for the devil, why can't we get you to go hard for Jesus? Jesus is the hope of this nation. He's the hope of all the nations of the earth. And this calls us to hope in the name of the Lord. I want to exhort you today to become bold, to become courageous, to become outspoken about the things that are on God's heart. Can we clarify something further? Abortion is not a political issue. Abortion is entirely moral and entirely spiritual. We're talking about little unborn babies that never have a chance at life. Oh, the irony of people that are angry that they can't kill their kids. Meanwhile, their mom and dad didn't do that to them. And the enemy is twisting and perverting the fact that millions of children are going to have a chance at life. And people are stirred up that they're having a loss of freedom. Don't be on the wrong side of history, my friends. I'm sure that southern slave owners were angry that they lost their freedom. Hello. Oh, you're touching me. No, this is for the good of God in the earth. Amen. Don't be on the wrong side of history. We need to be proud to champion that God has done away with this bloodshed. And you know what we need to do? We need to pray because Eric Holcomb has convened on July 6th in this state and they're going to make a decision about whether or not we allow the murdering of innocent children in this state. I want Indiana to absolutely outlaw abortion. I want to be a voice in this country and in this community that says this is not okay and if you need help, we're here to help you. Listen, it's one thing to celebrate the outlawing of abortion. It's another thing to step forward and say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I meet the need of the hour? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus? Amen. So in his name, the Gentiles will hope. We need to be spreading hope to every person that we can. There are opportunities every single day to tell someone about Jesus, whether you do it big or small. Can I share just a few examples with you? Jeremiah, my brother, is flying home and he finds an ID of a woman on the ground in the airport. It's like 11 o'clock at night. He can't find anyone to give it to. He's like, hey, 
I'll just try to mail it to her. He brings it home. I was staying at his house. And I said, let me mail it to her. Her name was Caroline. What did I do? I bought a Bible. I wrote out my testimony. And I verified with her through Facebook. I found her. Is this your address? Yes. And I sent her the gospel through my own life. And gave her a Bible and said, I just want you to have access to the same wisdom that has forever changed my life. That cost me $15 and about 20 minutes. This is not that hard. Are you with me? We've got to be intentional and serious and personal and determined about sharing the gospel of hope with those who need it the most. Amen. If you believe that, would you stand with me this morning? And let's ask God for a fresh wave of boldness today. I believe the Lord is downloading some things in my spirit about adoption, which I'll share in the weeks ahead when the Lord releases me. But today, let's ask for boldness. Let's celebrate what God has done. But let's get ready for the war and for the fight that is just beginning. If you're with me, would you just open your hands to the Lord? If you're willing today. Father God, we ask you for boldness in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that in your name the Gentiles will hope. Jesus, we declare that you're the hope of the world, that this dying, lost, and wicked country needs you. So God, would you use us today? Would you stir in our souls in a mighty way? Would you provoke us, God? Would you confront us in our complacency and cause us to sound the alarm? for Jesus I pray that when life cuts us that we would bleed Jesus that everything we say and do would have to do with the saving grace of the Son of God I pray that all fear of man would be broken off and exposed in Jesus' name God we don't care what someone thinks about us if all of our family and friends and classmates and co-workers hate us it would be a privilege to be hated for for you. It would be a privilege to be despised in this life and be rewarded in the life to come. I pray for bold faith to grip your church in this hour that we would once again be the salt of the earth and be the light of the world. We will not put our light under a basket. Let's put it up high and give God glory. Let people see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. We love you so much. Have a wonderful Sunday. Let's celebrate what the Lord has done. Amen.